Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital and DVD. And Tubi. Uh, and Tubi. I'm Liz, <laughs> Liz Manishal. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features. I'm currently in development on a bunch of others, including a horror comedy feature called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to do something at Sundance called the Creative Distribution Initiative. But this week, we welcome producer, editor, writer, dancer, production accountant, Liz Manischel's accountant, Jennifer Weberly on the show to talk about forming her company, wearing multiple hats. There are many, many I didn't even mention, film fundraising and much more. After that, we play another round of the game. But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm doing okay. Hanging in there. I'm moments, weeks, days, hours away from my son being born and you know, just trying to get everything wrapped up before that happens. Still working on a project that's very challenging. It's it's a really good project, but I, I mean, I can't really talk about it at all. At all, it's just been getting really hard. This is so. the sports one you've mentioned on the podcast before. Oh, okay, I've said sports, related, but you haven't said uh, yeah. more. Than okay, that. good. You're safe. All right, good. I think that's okay. I think I don't violate my NDA if I just say sports related. Yeah, it's just been hard. We're we're one week away from being done, and I'm just like now, like okay, let's just get this done. Hopefully the boy doesn't come before then, so I don't have to, like, I don't know, leave the project or whatever. Who knows? <laughs> it's been crazy. You know, I haven't really had time to do any creative filmmaking stuff, um, unfortunately. I was, like, kind of getting up to some writing for a minute, and then it just sort of flew away like a bird. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's totally that's okay. okay. And I'm, I'm, like, coming to terms with, like, I might not be writing for a long time, you know, which is good to be, to accept that. But yeah, I don't know. So st- less work than I had before, last time we did one of these, but still, still feeling the pressure, feeling the insanity at the same time. Yeah. How are you doing? What's going on with you? I'm okay. <laughs> I have massive acid reflux, which is oh, so no. fun to talk about. Just acid reflux. What a what a humorous yeah. humorous topic to bring up. And just like physically am feeling very pregnant and remembering why this is horrible to be pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> just remembering like all the things you forget. I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't move. And my throat is on fire creatively i'm doing okay i have a meeting in in actually as soon as we stop recording um, with a horror production company so um we're pitching to them and then once we pitch to them i'm gonna go back to potential equity prospects 
to, to let them know we had a meeting with a horror production company and see if that helps make us seem more legitimate and sexy to them because you just want to be sexy <laughs> in indie film. Oh my God. Uh. And other than that, I'm really just waiting for Sean to finish season one of The Bear so we can finally get to season two because I love it so much. Oh, that's so funny. Good for you for like having so much going on like right before you give birth. Like, I'm you behind know, you. I'm I'm a few weeks behind you. You know. You're, yeah, but you're still like right in there. Like the acid reflux thing is like, you know, <laughs> sounds familiar to me. You know, I've heard that uh, recently. So yeah, but it's just really cool that you're like, you have a meeting with a production company. That's so cool. Like for your, for your film and that like, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up for success like once you come back from from your leave however long you're going to take so that's that's super awesome i'm trying i'm trying i think i you know i won't talk about it on the podcast but i've been there's been some personal stuff that's been happening and i'm finally in a place where like i'm dealing with it right like family mm-hmm. stuff like i'm actually thinking about it and processing it and doing that has allowed me more room and more energy for last ditch efforts with the project before birth so i think for me it's all management of resources but i think you know looking behind me i don't have the crib built i haven't bought anything (laughs) for the baby yet at all like there's a lot of things that i think you are way ahead of me on in terms of preparation for a child that i should be doing (laughs) Yeah, we got the crib built a while ago. We did that probably like w- earlier than we needed to, but I just wanted to get it done because it was stressing me out. And so yeah. like we just did it on a weekend. And then, yeah, the only thing left I have to do, we still have to pack our, our hospital bag, although that's like oh, going to take two seconds. Do that when you're in but, labor. That's what I'm planning on <laughs> in labor, packing that bag. <laughs> Yeah, the thing that I was so excited about that we got done was the car seats are both in the car and like we can fit the baby one and the toddler one in there together and it all works. And like for a while I was like, oh my God, I have to buy a new car. How is this possibly going to happen? And then like, you know, we're like, oh, they fit. It's fine. (laughs) It's good. We did move our toddler car seat, but we haven't bought a new one yet. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah, that was that was good. And then we have a backup one that we use for airfare. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that one's now in the other car. So like we have one car seat for the toddler for BB in one car and another one in the main car and then the the boys one in in that same car. So like we're like totally covered all. (laughs) That was like a really nice feeling. I got air conditioners installed in the house that had been sitting around for months. Uh, Luckily, it was like cold here, oddly, from like May to June. But then it just started getting hot, like at the end of June. And so like, that's all done. So I feel like a lot of the big things are done. I basically, I just have to get the bassinet from the garage and put it into the, <laughs> the bedroom. That's like the yeah. next thing I have to do. But it's like super, oh. I know exactly where it is. It's super easy. So yeah, we've been doing a lot of like prep stuff. Like I cleaned out a big part of the garage and like sort of getting, like that's something that I really been wanting to do for a long time. But like, I just had no time to do. But like once my, my, my main job ended, I was like, okay. I'll have time to do this. So I just took BB in the garage with me and we're just like, she just plays around on the floor and I'm just like packing and moving stuff. And you're really she, ready, she, by the way. She'll, she'll give me like a good 30 minutes of like, I, I, I can work while she just amuses herself and, you know, in the garage. That's so. amazing. 30 minutes <laughs> without someone Hi. being like, do this, do that. Yeah, she's fun. Yeah, no, I I feel like I do feel pretty prepared. Like with all the things, I feel pretty good about that. I just I think mentally prepared for the other life that will join us soon. That that's the thing that's like I thought I was ready for it. Like, you know, this whole time. And then like basically a week ago, it was like, oh, (laughs) 
there's gonna be another person here ah yes that'll be fun <laughs> i'm not even thinking about that yet right like i i feel very much do you, do you remember that really it's like a dove commercial or something and they're like first kid second kid and the first kid it's like i had ever, i did like research i talked to all these moms i had a spreadsheet i did a registry i did all these things and it's like second sec it's like first kid the bath is like oh check the temperature of the water and splash it on the baby's tummy before you get in the bath or whatever and the <laughs> second kid is like you just bring the kid in the shower and you like shake them out when they're done you know like that's where I'm at is like so very funny. much in the like second kid messiness thing but what I was just thinking about is how people tuning in because we're recording a lot of segments in advance and I know this one's actually going to come out relatively soon but yeah. but we're we're recording our thoughts you know in early to mid July right now and that by the time we get back together to start recording again, our lives are going to be very, very different. And that is pretty uh, cool. Unknowingly different, like so different by the so time we, we get back together to, to do more episodes. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. But it's going to be fun, too. going to be exciting. It's going to be almost as exciting as if you were to donate to our Patreon. www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. We are looking for support on Patreon. Every single dollar gets us to a level of sustainability for this podcast. And if you pledge $1.99 a month, that's $1.99 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog, which is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes that are not publicly available for everyone to listen to very easily. We also want you to not forget to check out Jambox.io, which is a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. They work with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, global brands like DJI. They offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is awesome. But without any more delay, here's our chat with the illustrious, the wonderful Jennifer Weberly. So we're here with Jennifer Weberly. Jen, can you give us the elevator pitch for 7,000 miles? The elevator pitch for 7,000 miles. We just had our world premiere at Dances with Films this last weekend. The film is about a what-if scenario if Amelia Earhart had actually survived her crash and lived out her life in Hawaii. How many days did you shoot the film? Okay, so what Liz knows that you do not know is that I was not in production. I came on the film in post-production, so I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. Amazing. I feel like we could say vaguely that it was less than like a 30 day production schedule. Was that would that be fair? I think so. Okay. I can say that. I feel like of what I know about it, I feel like that great might help <laughs> because, inform. Because I really don't it was two years ago too, so I don't remember. But the film the film was shot in under 30 days and it was all shot in Hawaii and the House that they, that is the main location for the film. They all lived in and they had a really great time. The camera assistant would climb up coconut trees literally in the morning and get coconut for coconut water. And wow. they would all have martinis at night and making the martini shot a real thing. 
So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was, and it's beautiful. The film's gorgeous. <laughs> so, what can you speak of with regard to the budget? I cannot talk about the budget. That's actually in the investor contract, but it is SAG ULB. And like, how did you get brought on to this film? And why did you say yes to working on this film of all films that you could work on? We had been asked to produce it from the beginning, but because of the situation COVID was still in, we have a very small production company. So we didn't feel like we could take on that liability. So we came on in post to help finish the film. The producers from Hawaii weren't really available and the film was being posted in over in uh, California. So we are Californians. So we took on that to help them get it done. How uh, long did you spend working on the film from jumping on board to now? We came on the film last March. So we came on during picture editing. We were involved in the picture editing process and, and the mix and color and all of those fun things. We've been helping with marketing and getting it into festivals and doing the post posts, we like to call it. Well, so that's, you know, that's the first section of your, you survived the first gauntlet, Jen, is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> is that we like to ask a few questions about the production. And, but I would love to give people a little bit more context about you because I, if I'm allowed to say, you're my accountant, but you also were the associate producer of Bread and Butter. You're also a friend. And I also learned recently that you're a former dancer. I also know that y you just have so many things you're doing. Can you can you sum up yourself for everyone? Is that a, can I ask that of you? As you said, there's a lot of things I do. So summing up myself... <laughs> confuses even me sometimes. Um, I My beginnings were in theater. I was an actor and a dancer. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in comprehensive theater, meaning also producing theater and theater management itself. I also have an acting degree from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So my background really comes from performance. Then I went to USC, which is where I met my now producing partner. We're both producers and picture editors. I'm also now a director because I just directed a short documentary. And we you're starting down the virtual reality path, and I'm directing in that as well. Let's see, what else? I have an MBA also in strategy and marketing. So that is where the finance side has come in as well. I was a partner in a tax firm for 15 years. And now I have my own little boutique tax prep that's mostly based for artists and entertainment and short films, or I'm sorry, small films. And I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Do you, so you, you mentioned that you came onto the, this film, you know, 7,000 Miles during post. But yes. is that something that you normally do as a producer? Do you know, often come in at the end? Or is that kind of a rare experience? It's, this is the first time we've come on, come on in post. We usually do it from the, you know, white page get involved in the script and go all the way through to distribution. In this particular case, I think the pandemic is probably what changed that for us. But also because the producing team that that made the film in production just weren't as available, especially since it had been a, a little bit of time had passed. So I think they were in Hawaii doing other projects. So we came on to help because we know the people involved. I'm so interested in your occupying the creative world and what I call like the logistical technical worlds and how and we've kind of had conversations like this over the years, how you're able to occupy both spaces. Can you talk a little bit about how I'm going to ask about distribution later, but in terms of financing, are you able to take your knowledge from accounting and looking at the books of like so many different filmmakers and how does that inform how you fundraise 
for a film? Well, fundraising for the film is is a separate thing. Uh, most of our films, we've 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 crowdfunded, we've had private investors, we've had family investors, we've had all kinds of different ways, like everybody out there that's made films, bring in the money. But what you do with the money and how you deal with the money that that comes from the accounting side. So uh, people don't think accounting is creative, but it actually is. How you figure out how to spend the money, where you move it around, and get that money on the screen is is pretty unique. And so, yeah, I I do use my accounting skills as a producer for certain. And especially the all the way into the tax side of things, you know, so many filmmakers do not understand how to structure your company, how and when to bring the investors in or they're not, you know, is it a loan? Are they members of the company? You know, there it there's a lot of differences. And so what ends up happening when I'm doing small film accounting or taxes specifically is most the time filmmakers don't know. So then I have to explain it to them after, often after production, and it can get a little tricky on how to clean up. Like you did with me. To clean up the, the company side of things. So I I recommend that, and all films are different. So I can't just say this is what you need to do, but I recommend that you talk to an accountant and preferably a lawyer before you go running head on into a production because the back end, you're going to be the one dealing with the back end for two, three, four, five years. And you need to know that you've structured these things correctly for yourself and your investors because- Investors, even if they're crowdfunded investors, are really patrons of the arts and they shouldn't be treated like they're finance, you know, like they're stock people because they often don't know either. So it's best to do right by the people that are giving you money and make sure that they're set up correctly so that if your film makes money, great, everybody wants that. But if it doesn't, then the investors can also benefit in the tax realm from taking losses. And it's something you owe your investors to understand before you do it. So you kind of talked about your day job. Is So I'm getting this it's accounting. Is that your day job or what do you consider as your main day job? I don't really have a day job that way. I run my own company. It's called Metamorphic Productions. We have several departments with inside our company. It's our company. And taxes are part of that. It's just a department I do do. And yes, making a living doing films is difficult. So certainly we make money in the accounting department and that helps fund everything. But I don't really have a, a day job. Nice. Makes sense? Sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> even when I was a partner, even when I was a partner at the tax firm, it was only part-time. My my tax partner knew that I was a filmmaker and, you know, I, tax season, I was not part-time, but the rest of the year I came and went to make movies. Hey, just a follow-up question, like for your company, is it just you and your partner or do you have employees? Like what's the structure of the business look like on your side? It's mostly just me and my partner. We have people that come and go depending on the films, of course. And um, we kind of run the company like a rep company almost. So we have different directors, different writers, you know, depending on what we're doing. We do lots of short films too. So, you know, we, we like to foster independent filmmaking. In terms of technical employees. I do have a few part-timers. Most of them are my nephews that want to learn <laughs> how to do taxes or or I've got one learning assistant editing right now and is actually being my assistant. He was at the premiere with me last weekend just learning how to do those things because they don't teach you the, how to be an assistant at school and you have to be like Johnny on the spot when you're an assistant. You know, So they're all technically my part-time employees, but no, I don't have full employees. We're very independent. I want to go back to fundraising just for a second, because I think that a lot of filmmakers 
are misinformed about distribution. They think, oh, if the overhead is low enough, of course, we're going to profit. Of course, we're going to recoup. But there is a benefit to an investor taking a loss. Is there a way, and, and especially in this marketplace, it happens more often than people understand or are aware of. I'd, again, putting you on the spot as per usual, is there a way you can explain what that is, taking a loss? How to take film? the loss? Yeah. Sure. I I tell all of my clients, especially, that they should not, first off, ever tell an investor that they will definitely make their money back because that is absolutely misleading. And to be more educated and understand that the filmmaker can take a loss against passive income is useful because most people who have enough money to cut you a, a decent sized check are going to understand their their taxes <clears throat> or at least their accountants will. So people can invest in your movie and if they become a member of your company, so I recommend it not being your regular company, but that you have a company just set aside for the film and they become a member of that, say they give you $50,000, $100,000, and there's a couple of them, there's a few of these investors, then, then what they can do after the tax re return is done for the company, for the film company, they will get a Schedule K-1, it's part of that company, and they each get one. And in that K-1 is how they can take losses. So once the film, if the film doesn't make all of its money back, it's going to be able to take losses because it spent more money than it made. And each one of them will get a proportion to how, what they put into the film. They'll get a proportion of that loss on their own personal tax returns. And this is really good because that's a benefit to them. It helps them, especially, again, investors who have made a lot of money and can give you this money. They probably have what's called passive income. They get this passive income usually from investments of stocks, bonds, all kinds of things. They could be in gas and oil. Who knows what these guys are doing over here? They're making a bunch of money. And the loss on your film can go against that income, literally dollar for dollar, so that they are paying less taxes, basically. That's the w one of the benefits of being able to take a loss on a film. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I'm going to get really nerdy with you really Was quick. Was that clear? Okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So when structuring, well, I guess a couple questions, but sure. maybe I'll just ask you the more straightforward one first. So like when you're, when you're advising your clients on fundraising, how do you like to have them set up their LLCs? Like, do you think that's something that should be done early on in the process or like how, like, and if they're, they're not setting up their LLCs in the beginning before fundraising, how do you advise them collecting investment from investors? You know, if they're going to start their LLC when they go into production and to like, you know, avoid having to pay, you know, years and years of LLC fees like I did when I, uh, you know, made my LLC three years before I shot the film. In California? Yeah. In Cal yeah. So you're paying that $800 for the pleasure of doing mm -hmm. business in the state of California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful, right? So, right? Yeah. I'm very aware of it. Um, especially since often films show up and they're California, they're like, well, we didn't do our tax returns because we didn't make the movie or we didn't do it because we didn't make money. But California doesn't go for that. So you do have to make sure that if you've made opened your LLC, you have to file a tax return. 
So um, yeah. I, again, like I said before, all films are a little different in this specific area. And so this is also typically a lawyer question first. If you're going to be, pull, it depends on the kind of money. You know, if grandma gave you $100, then you maybe just save that. But if you're talking, you're trying to take in bigger chunks of, of change to, to save, because most films do, then typically, yeah, you're going to want to have an LLC bank account to put it in because otherwise technically it's your personal income and then you are personally paying taxes on it. And we don't like that. It depends on the budget of the film big time. You know, I mean, I know people that have done it for $20,000. So that's a whole, you know, different kind of, you can massage that a little differently. You don't necessarily need an LLC depending on how your own tax situation is. But, you know, if you're getting into the 100, 200, 300,000 or more, 500, 750, and then a million dollar films are their own animal. That's a whole different thing. You need bonds to do that. That's you definitely need a company if you're getting into those levels. But even at $100,000, you want to have an LLC set up earlier than not. But yeah, make sure that you're not going to just sit there and pay fees on the LLC. And then you want to figure out this structure that I'm talking about. Are you bringing it? I've had multiple different kinds of structures. If you have I don't know, five investors that are giving you good chunks of chains, then you want to put them inside the LLC so they can take these losses I'm talking about. But I've also had films come in that have taken out loan versions of investment where they're going to pay their investor back if they make money, right? That's different. You don't necessarily need an LLC. Then you're getting into legal questions on whether or not you want a company. And that's, I don't give legal advice. I <laughs> have my own opinions, of course, but I'm not a lawyer. So you don't, you, you want, then you want that LLC for the limited liability part of that LLC or even an S Corp or, well, probably not a C Corp. They're too complicated, but, you know, to protect yourself. That's legal, right? So it's a little, it depends. You're paying for it if you're waiting, yes. But if you want to give them losses, you definitely need to let them be part of the company. And then this whole WeFunder thing going on is its own interesting question. So we've, my accounting friends and I have been trying, have contacted WeFunder and tried to figure out how exactly they're structuring they're the back end taxes for a film. And right now I'm still talking to them about that because it doesn't make sense in some ways what they're telling my filmmakers that are coming to me. Mm. So actually, I if, if you guys know any CPAs or accountants that have dealt with doing the taxes based on WeFunder structure, I'd love to know. I got a person I can ask. Great. I want to follow up on Arik's question in that when do you advise someone opening up an LLC? Is it like a month before production? Isn't once you know for sure? I mean, it's like after the letter of intent from an investor, but before the money comes in, but definitely the calendar year of the shoot. Is there? <laughs> See, you have learned things. You have learned things. <laughs> Look, if money, if money is substantial, money is coming in. It should be going into a company account that is attached to the company's tax ID. That's that's you don't want it in your personal account, and you don't. Uh, you also don't want to hold a stack of checks and just let them sit there because that's not going to work either. Money comes. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised. 
you know, money comes in, it's it's income. So as soon as you've got that coming in, it's either an investment. So you have to decide, is this going to be income? So when you do a crowdfund, that's income. That's income based on the tax ID it is attached to. Okay. So, so if you've put your own social security in there, you're going to get a 1099 that says you got $50,000 personally, and then you're going to have to pay taxes on it. So that's one of the, if you're going to crowdfund, then you kind of want to have this company tax ID that you can attach the crowdfund money coming into because then the company is getting the money. Now, it's still a problem because LLCs all pass through to you. So that money coming in will come through to you on these magical K-1s that I'm talking about. But you still want to have it separate from your personal life. The IRS does not like when your personal bank accounts are mixed with your company activities, kind of period. So if you're going to take an investment in, then it's not income. That's that's on your balance sheet. That's equity. It's called equity. So if you're going to bring that in, you still want to bring that into a company tax ID account, not your personal account. You want to keep your personal stuff out of it as much as possible. So again, when it's different for every every project. I mean, the best thing to do is to see if you can hold any of that kind of stuff in trust. Maybe the lawyer can help you put it in a trust account, meaning uh, escrow account is a better word for it, where that money's all coming in. It's sitting there held for the film, but it's not touching you or your company. It's just held there until it can be released. So that's what bigger films, bigger budget films do. They have it all pulled aside, if that makes sense. But you still need a LLC to do the escrow account thing, right? Like you can't just do that without having a company formed. I have heard different things. Lawyers sometimes <laughs> can help. Lawyers have escrow accounts, right? So they can sometimes help with these things. So, mm. you know, it's it's hard because the problem is you don't want to wait. If someone said, hey, I'll give you 20 grand. You're like, please give me that right now. I understand, Please, right? Take the you money. don't want to wait. Well, I need to wait six months until the other, you know, whatever has come in, you know, but it's all timing. Everything is timing in terms of both taxes and money. It's tricky. It's tricky. I wish I could just give you the one, two, three. This is what you should do, but it's different for every film. Yeah. That was basically my situation. It's like I had like $20,000 year one and I was like, I want that in a, you know, bank account with my LLC attached to it. And that's what I did. And then year after year, a couple more, you know, 10,000, 20,000 here. It's just like slowly accruing. But then you I'm didn't do it wrong, it. though. That's that's the right way to do it. I know you're paying that right. $800 to California. And I, I it this also gets tricky, what I'm about to say. I, I have had filmmakers who are shooting in another, another state, but they live in California. And then they end up registering everything in the state of the film, especially so they can get tax rebates directly into the company and things like that. That's all correct as well. But what ends up happening with California, if your personal residential address is in the state of California, that K-1 is going to show California on it from your company and they will come and find you because your social security number is attached to that K-1 and you're doing your own California tax returns. And eventually they, I, I'm literally the franchise tax board. I heard them in a webinar two years ago say, we will literally drive out to your house if we need to. And they will. Well, and, the, and they'll try to collect back taxes for Absolutely. when you said, uh, wow. So like you Absolutely. can't just get away with that. Like, wow. Amazing. No. It's crazy. Scary. <laughs> I want to move on to distribution. <laughs> okay. Well, I, wait, I have one more, fi- okay. I have one yeah, more financing course. question. So I'm, I'm just curious about film funding in general. And 
basically do you do you do it for clients or do you only really do it for your own movies and I what is your it. process i yeah, only do course. it for my own i only do it for my own. no i am yeah, not a, <laughs> I mean we know how to do all these things you know we know how to do crowdfunding again we've had private investors i'm i've actually got a pretty i do not have a legal degree or anything like that but i have a pretty extensive legal background so my lawyer and i talk about it every time but honestly because it's different for every single project i can't i mean i can't use my own network for other people that wouldn't make any sense because then right. my network that's funding stuff is you know i don't want to be an executive producer i'm a filmmaker you know what i mean so yeah i don't do it for other people i and do advise your... i mean okay. i have been known to advise my tax clients in particular if they have questions i answer them you know and i always 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 ask all my tax clients to give me all of their investor paperwork so that i make sure that i'm doing it right because those agreements and they are different for every film lay out how the tax taxes will be dealt with and then the second part of the question is what is your process when you're fundraising for one of your films like how do you go about it is it different for film or do you have a certain process you follow every time it's different it's different for every film usually this has to do with mostly above the line questions right so the writer director wants to do this do they have network do they have investors if there's a producer come on board that wants to put into the film, you know, we, we go out, we always try to do private equity first, always try to get investors before we do any crowdfunding, because crowdfunding is a full-time job. You need to be doing it constantly, and it takes a lot of time. And then it's also trickier because you've got people giving you $20, or you've got people giving you a few hundred dollars. And so all that has to be dealt with in the accounting. Whereas if you have, you know, five investors that fund your film, that's really pretty in the accounting side. And since you now know I'm an accountant and a producer, I like things to be really pretty and buttoned up nicely. So I'm sorry, that's not, again, there's oh. no one, two, three. Right? Yeah, no, it's, and I mean, I ask these same questions every producer and I always get, you know, a different answer or an answer similar to yours. So I, but I just have to ask. Right. But when I was younger, I hated that. I hated that. It depends. I hated the. it depends on each film. I hated the. it's all who you know, but it turns out it is. And so, you know, it's very frustrating, but it, it's just the truth. <laughs> For distribution, mm -hmm. because I'm I'm chicken little and I always talk about how the sky is falling and how no one's making any money in distribution. I really uh, relish the chance when people also feel similarly. So this is me injecting, <laughs> hoping, hoping to inject an answer into the question. Sorry about that. What I, what I mean to ask is having access to filmmaker LLC bank accounts, looking at the back end of the films that you've produced, that you've edited, or I, probably not the one that you've edited, but the ones that you've worked on and the ones that you're doing accounting for, you have a vast, vast knowledge of like the state of indie film distribution. And I understand it's proprietary knowledge and I understand you can't share a lot, but can you can you talk about your vantage point of how you think indie filmmakers are doing right now? There's no money. <laughs> so I was right. There's, I was right. There's no money. The, the, you know, another thing I hate hearing as a filmmaker is if you don't have a star in the film, you're never going to make any money. People aren't going to want it. That's true. So unfortunately, but if you do have a true. star, you may not make any money either. And even if you do have a star, <laughs> you're still going to struggle as 7,000 miles has a whole battery of stars in it. And we're having these conversations right now. 
And, and, you know, some distributors are like, well, those stars aren't big enough. And I'm like, well, what the hell? I'm not going to have Brad Pitt in my film. So what am I supposed to do? I've been an indie filmmaker for a million years and I keep hearing the same thing over and over again. How do you sell it on the back end? You know, and we were told, well, those super independents we did a long time ago, well, you have no stars. Those are in distribution right now, but there wasn't a lot of money. But you can see them on Amazon. You can see them on, you know, wherever they the various ones are. But if you're asking specifically, are independent films making money? No. Are you asking if I make a living being an independent film producer? No. If I counted the hours I work for the amount of money I make, I'd be in the negative for sure, certain. But I don't, I mean, I don't fortunately have to do it for that. I've created my own company that does a lot of different things that we make money on. I'm headed, we are, we did virtual reality promos for the Beijing Olympics. We were included in a, an innovation Emmy nomination for the that. And we're pretty excited about virtual reality right now. We were hired to do it. So they were a client. So that was nice. Hey, money and a budget and we got paid. And also virtual reality is what independent film was to me when I started. It's like the Wild West. There's not a lot of rules and you can get out there and try to figure out stuff. So that's that's one of the things we're doing right now, both for money and for fun. But independent, particularly feature films, it's it's a tough, tough market out there. So, so you're kind of doing like what almost every person I know who started a production company says they want to do. Like, we're going to make commercials or do stuff for, for paying the bills, and then we're going to make movies, and we're going to do that. And then like everybody that I know will make money, and then they never make the movies. Or if they do make the movies, they make like one short film, and then they go back to making the money. So my question is, how do you manage to like sustain a company where you're consistently making films over year, over year, over year, and surviving and making money at the same time? Yeah. Well, we're very creative. <laughs> we, I mean, you just heard that uh, that we do make money doing taxes and accounting. That's some. It's it. That's a good one that covers our overhead, really. Especially since I left the bigger tax firm, because the bigger tax firm and I had an agreement on that that went into the com- my company, not me. So that that helped sustain that kind of environment for overhead. Each film is funded on its own. My actual production company does not. Uh, we get paid a producer's fee for for things, but. You know, we take we take on clients. Jen and I, uh, my partner and I, also edit. So we will freelance edit for cash for money. <laughs> you know, so we do a lot of different things. We're we're because of the repertory nature of my company. I mean, I've run some of my my band of pirates run their income through my company. <laughs> so we get a cut of that if I'm doing their billing and I'm doing invoicing for them. And chasing down people, I really have no problem telling people they owe money, which is something people get very nervous about. But I really don't mind saying, hey, you owe money for these services. So, you know, we do a lot of different things. That's how we keep going. The bigger film projects. So so to answer your question, that kind of money that's coming in, will we often make shorts with. Features are always funded outside. We don't we don't take our revenue and make a feature with it. We always are getting private equity or crowdfunding depending on the project. Does that I make love, sense? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure I answered the question. No, no, it's beautiful. I love Ulrich's question and I think that there can be like a squishy corollary to it, which is like how do you protect your creativity when you're running so many businesses and playing so many roles in so many different ways? Is there a way you build your day or you build your week or is there something you do, I don't know, meditation? Like how do you kind of get yourself 
into that space. It used to be that I had to separate the days when I was producing. Producing and accounting go together just fine. They're even related. And logistics and those kinds of things versus when I was doing story notes or editing. I used to have to separate the days literally. I would have to get out of bed in the right side of my or left side of my brain. I no longer need to do that. I've practiced well enough and it's I can separate the two with a, a meal or, you know, I go take a shower or something. I mean, just to let me flip, because at this point, they're pretty intertwined. Editing itself, especially features, needs a lot of attention and focus. And so that's usually a block of time. I usually need three to four hours of time where I am literally all my phones are off, everything's off, and I'm just concentrating on the work. I also found writing our VR book the same situation. So anytime you're doing something super creative, you just got to block off everything because the world's crazy. There's way too many notifications from way too many places. And I get asked a lot of questions. So does Jen. We get asked a lot of questions. How are you in distribution again? How did you make this movie? How did you get this up? Constantly. We're texted constantly. And our friends will connect us to connect to us to other filmmakers. And honestly, it gets a little crazy. So we just shut everything off. Jen does the same thing when we need to edit. So nice. So what I want to hear about is like, like with all of the stuff that you do, and then like taking on new projects, you know, in the narrative space, like as as a producer for a feature, let's just say for a feature, like what makes you say yes to a project? Like what do you look for in, you know, a script or a team or whatever that makes you say, yes, I want to be on board with this and I want to produce this movie for the next like two to five years or or, or more? Oh, oh, yes. The producer is the real parent of a of the child that is the <laughs> film. You know, directors and writers both tend to jump to projects faster. And the producer, we're all the way on the back end looking at numbers from a distributor that are really sad and trying to figure out how to keep the film going. <laughs> It's just true. That's what the, or that's what Jen and I, that's how Jen and I produce. Okay. That's the kind of producers we are, which is why we do get asked actually fairly often to come onto projects. And we have gotten very selective because they take a lot of time. And once they're adopted into our family, we still look at them all. So even if they're in college or in graduate school, and that's what Jen and I joke about, which, you know, are these guys <laughs> in elementary school? Like what, what phase is the film in? Right. <laughs> so, Jen and I actually did a retreat, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now, and we literally sat down for four days and wrote up our green light process. So we know exactly how we walk through things, because when you've heavily networked in the indie world, people come at you from everywhere once you start having films and distribution, because they want to know how you did it. And they want to know if you'll do it for them. And they want to know if you'll get money for them. They want to know, you know, all these things constantly. So we had to come up with a process. And because Jen and I consider ourselves creative producers first, the content has to speak to us. So it has to have authenticity, which is what we really we really drive for. We tend to favor content and teams of women. So we are very, and that's been since graduate school. We've both been like that. It's one of the reasons we connected. And underrepresented voices, we are very interested in. I know the whole industry is interested in that right now, but we've always been interested in that. <laughs> one of the reasons we didn't, both of us had studio offers outside of school for jobs. And I, I chose this lifestyle because I want to be in control control of the creativity and content. I don't want someone telling me that I need to take that out. I need to add this or whatever they think is the right way to go. I believe in indie film, that, that it's a messenger. I believe 
that the media, not just film, but all media is the fourth branch of the government. So Jen and I like making a difference and saying important things with our work. So that's why we're in this pretty much not-for-profit situation where we're making films and, and, and all our content. That's We've just moved into making, we're storytellers in the end, right? So we're going to try to find wherever we can stick our storytelling. <laughs> God, I love Does that, that answer your question? So, I mean, oh, content's yeah. first. Content first for us. I mean, you could maybe, no, no, you can't. You can't pay us enough money to make something we won't. <laughs> I, that, that sounds nuts, but that's how Jen no, and I, that's true freedom. That's, that's true independence. Yeah. But that's why we do a million things, because we've got to be creative. Well, and we've spoken a little bit about the other Jen, and I, I, I don't want to task you with summing up Jen Prince, but how, how did you know that this was a collaboration that was to last, that this was a business partnership that you wanted to enter into? Well, in the beginning, we didn't really know. So we met in graduate school at USC, and I ended up producing her thesis film and training her largely as a producer. She's a writer-director first, or was. And so we, so I trained her in producing, so that makes sense that we do this things the same. So... Um, and then the f- first couple of years after graduate school, we didn't, we talked, of course, but we didn't really, you know, we weren't really together making things for another three or four years, probably. And we just, I don't know, we had coffee and we were talking about similar experiences, projects we had been on without each other. And we were like, why do people do things this way? It doesn't make any sense to us. So we just started, we really value the same things in filmmaking. It was easy for us to do the green light process because we value the same things. And and when you want to partner with somebody, you better make sure that they have your values. And Jen and I believe in integrity. We believe in professionalism. We tolerate, we have zero tolerance for any kind of toxic work environment. And I will fire a star off of my set if they do something wrong. I haven't had to yet, but trust me, we've been up against some of those situations. And I'm like, I don't care. This person is not going to abuse. It's typically females that we're talking about, the abuse coming at us. We believe in an open set. We have an open culture. We tell everyone the first day, if you have any problems, you come directly to us. And if you don't, it's going to make us super sad because we have a zero tolerance for racism, sexism, or any kind of problem you're having, you come talk to us. So we have a following of crew that follow us for that reason specifically, that we're just so open. We believe in safety first. We will. We do taillights at 12 hours, no matter what. We've only gone over once in our entire career, and it's because the crew begged us to stay one more hour. The crew themselves. <laughs> we're like, no, we're, we're, we're stopping. This isn't safe. And they're like, one more hour. We've almost got it. And fortunately, it's one of the best scenes in, in Quality Problems the reason we got it. But that's that's our belief. And so you have to find a partner that is what you think it what you think you want to live because if you don't you're just going to be miserable. It's like getting married. You you know, if you don't stay in it you don't stay in a you got to have a good marriage. And if you want to stay in something toxic, then you're going to get in the same situation when you're filmmaking especially when you're producing together. You know, I, I people do their own thing with safety and hours and all these other things, and they'll go run out onto railroad tracks and take horrible fucking scenes and kill people. But Jen and I don't, don't we will not do that. And we we're very sad about that situation because we just don't believe in it. Yeah. Did that answer your question? How do you find a partner? 
Yeah. Make sure that they believe in what you do. Such a good producer, even in the answering of the questions, Jen. You're like wanting to make sure the communication is clear and thorough. It's beautiful. <laughs> Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. So I want to hear about, like we talked a lot about already that, you know, movies don't make money. We're not making money in indie, indie film. We all know this. So like for a filmmaker who's like super excited to go out to make their movie and like for you personally, like what, how you define the success of an indie film? Is it like a certain amount of reviews? Is it the wonderful email you get from a stranger that who says they love your movie? Like, what do you think, like, how do you gauge the success of a movie if we're, if no one's making money on indie films, period, really? It's funny you ask that. The very first thing we ask any filmmaker who wants us to produce their film is, what does success mean for you? What are you looking for from your film? It's the most important question to ask because money, is. if you're in it for money, you go sell shoes or something because, <laughs> you know, you've got to, you've got to, I'm not saying that your film won't make money. It's possible. You know, we've all seen it, but it can't be where your heart is in your own movie. You have to know what you just asked. Those questions are exactly what we ask. Are you looking if you're a new writer director are you looking for press because you should be right so do you want to hit the festival circuit and get interviews and get press that's that's great for you if you're brand new right because you need to get the word out there that you did these things you know are you is it a personal story about your mom that all you care about is seeing it on the screen and having people connect to it that's a level of success you know, so we we ask that of filmmakers who come to us. For Jen and I, uh, that last rant I just did, it's it's about the value we bring to the world. Jen and I really believe in the power of film and any storytelling. That that's what we believe in. We're going to put that story out there. That's what's successful for us. So if we were to ever fund our own films, we already know the back end. So that's what that's what we're after. And again, one of the reasons we've moved into the virtual reality space is because there's such empathy in virtual reality that it really speaks to me and Jen. It's the future. Awesome. I truly yeah. believe that VR is the future and too many people laugh it off and they uh, they haven't had a great narrative VR experience yet. So that's what um, we're working on. Literally, we believer. wrote the book about how yeah. we think narrative will come into being. I'm, I'm such a big fan of, of narrative VR. Auric, I, I think we should move on to the next section, but if yeah, you have other questions, is that okay? No, no, that was great. I love that. It was a good ending. <laughs> great. So, Jen, we ask everyone the same final six questions. And the okay. first one is, what's the first film you ever made? And you could define that in any way. How do you feel about it now, looking back? There's a lot of, <laughs> those are a lot of those that I really, the first film I ever, I personally ever made would be in film school. Actually, USC has your first five films you make are no dialogue. So you have to do five minutes and it has to be five minutes, under five minutes and no dialogue and you have to learn visual storytelling. I have recently looked at those because Jen and I looked at them for fun and I feel pretty strongly about teaching people to use visual storytelling without dialogue. I mean, I am a huge proponent of sound. I actually love sound. 
I think it's annoying when filmmakers are like, oh, whatever, we're done. We're picture locked. No, you have another half of your film that if you, you know, we don't mm-hmm. do silent movies anymore. So I'm, I think sound is incredibly important. One of the uh, short films I made, USC, I actually did a sound story underneath it that was entirely different than what you were seeing. Because again, no dialogue, no sync dialogue. So the character is actually making breakfast as we're hearing someone die in a hospital. And at the end of the film, he grabs flowers from the door and walks out and the door shuts. And so that was just an idea that I have. I think about a lot as a person that all these things are happening in the world that we don't know when they're happening necessarily. So I liked that experience. And so I enjoyed that first film. But I, my favorite short film I've ever made, I also edited. It was super experimental. So I watched that the other day and I love watching that. It's five minutes long. <laughs> There's not an edit in it that annoys me. So as an editor, when you edit something, there's always something that's not quite going to work. And you see it every time. You you can't get away from it. But that film has just perfect editing for me. I love every cut. And then, of course, Quality Problems, Liz, you know, the the feature that we made about breast cancer. And it's a comedy. But it was an amazing family experience all around. It was a unique experience in how we did it. The family had never shot a film before. So we we did the film every weekend of the summer to see if they could do it, literally. The writer was also a director and her husband was a director. And then the kids, their kids, who lived through the writer having the breast cancer were in the movie. And so it just became a family experience. It was very different than any other filmmaking we did. We ended up crowdfunding the end of that and it did very well in the festivals, but it was more important. That success of that film specifically was just the loving family feeling of talking about breast cancer in a different way that was really important to us. And the festival experience on that was amazing. We had people crying, coming up to us saying, you know, my husband died of cancer. And that's weird at a festival. You're sitting there like, I'm sorry that you just watched my movie. But then they're like, we're just so happy you're talking about cancer. Nobody talks about it. It's like the big bad words. So those are all three answers for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? There's a lot. Well, I mean, some of it now we give, which is know what the success of your film is for you and don't let anyone take that away from you. Persistence. Be persistent. If you want something, go and get it. And fig- if you- don't take no for an answer. Just keep trying to figure it out. Figure it out. The reason that we have a diverse company like we do is because we weren't going to be told we had to go work at Jack in the Box while we wanted to make movies. We are going to figure out how to take our skills and get paid for it. So that's it, I guess. <laughs> What's some bad filmmaking advice you've received or witnessed? Worst thing that's ever been said to us is if your film doesn't make money, it's a failure. We don't believe in that. So we get why people say that. But, you know, you can't value your work or yourself by what other people think. By the time Jen and I put a, a film on the screen, we know they're the problem of the film, but it doesn't matter to us anymore. We've already taken it through our own network, which is five people. And I recommend that five people and they can be filmmakers, but it's good to not have filmmakers involved too. And then really know what your film is. And then don't worry about what everybody else says about it. Just know what your film is. Know what you like about it. Know what you don't. And don't worry about the million things you're going to hear. Wow. Amazing. 
Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Making films. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the goal again, and it, not just for features, but for anything that we make, both Jen and I again feel like we'd like to help make the world a better place. At this moment, I feel like there isn't enough hopeful stories going on. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of all these things that we've somehow gotten used to. But I think that we need inspirational stories and hopeful stories to keep the world just a better place. If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I don't know that you're going to like this. (laughs) Don't work with Liz Manischel. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, well, you guys are editing this, so I can say whatever I want. So at USC, I I was told all the time that, you know, I never did social events. I didn't, you know, have fun at parties, that I was always just intense and the person getting stuff done and that I was kind of a bitch. (laughs) And so I wish that I just stayed kind of a bitch. Because if I'd stopped those five years of like trying to somehow be nice you know, I would have more films because what happened is I ended up like, well, this is stupid. This doesn't matter. I'm going to go back to being intense and getting things done. And then suddenly I have this company I love with films out there in the world because I'm, I don't believe in being nice. I believe in being honest and I believe in getting things done. That's a great so answer. I, yeah. Please let us keep that in. Don't please don't you make us keep it in. I'm just saying, so I, didn't, good. I was literally told that, you know, and I just, That's I so really funny. wish I, I really wish that I had hadn't listened to that. I've never been one all my life, you guys, to be like worried about what people think. And I'm not worried about being liked, but I was told I needed to be to be in the industry because, well, the industry is networky and the industry is this and that and whatever. It didn't matter when I just started doing stuff. And I do have a good partner for this. Jen Prince is a really good partner for this because she is nice and can just say anything. And so sometimes I have to text her and be like, this is what I want to say right now. (laughs) And she, I'm just really blunt. I'm really blunt. I'm sorry. My publisher just told me I need to say I'm direct. So I'm going to say that instead. I'm really direct. (laughs) He's like, let's take away blunt. I mean, it's true, but direct's a better word. And he's right. Last question. Is making movies hard? Yes. So I think one of the most frustrating things, Jen and I also teach both in several different places. So one of the most frustrating things when I was in film school to when I'm teaching anything in film school is people come in and they think they're just going to make it all and it's not going to be hard. It doesn't take much time and it's just all this glamour stuff. Filmmaking and theater both are a lot of long hours and a lot of hard work. And you have to really want to do that because if you don't realize that, you're not going to get anywhere. And that's if you're making your own movies or if you're being a production assistant or any kind of level of crew member on any big show, that's going to be even more hours. So, yes, it's a lot of hard work. I like hard work. So I get told I work too much all the time. But when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like hard work. You're just tired a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. Sure. This is great. Where should people go if they want to find out more about you, check out your your production company, watch uh, 7,000 Miles? What should people do? Metamorphic is the name of our company. It's spelled oddly. It's M-E-T-A-M-O-R-F-I-C. Uh, that's our company. And we are actually currently updating the website to include 7,000 miles. 7,000 miles is you can learn about using the numbers. So that's 7000 milesfilm.com is the name of that website. So you can go there and that's where everything is, all our screenings. 
We are about to have a screening tomorrow, actually an encore screening at Dances with Films in Hollywood at 2.45 p.m. because our world premiere sold out on Saturday. So they gave us another screening. We're also going to be at the Woods Hole Film Festival at the end of July in Cape Cod area. And we're also in Cinequest in the middle of August in San Jose. So those are the true, the current ones. Yes. Yay. Thanks. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Ulrich, what do you remember about our chat with Jen? Jen was amazing. (laughs) Basically, she blew my mind with like all the things that she does and the way that she runs her business and how she's able to like make a life for herself doing indie film through her company. I thought that was really wonderful and rare. Like we don't hear that a lot, you know, usually there people are doing other things and not only making movies. So that was really cool. And I really appreciated her like super honest and like straightforward advice to all the nerdy questions you and I asked about financing and and raising money with investors before the movie is made, like and like how to do contracts and how to do LLCs. And, you know, her advice was different than some other advice I got. And so, like, I thought that was really interesting and, and good. And, and it was kind of validating because she was like, you did it right. It's <laughs> like, OK, cool. Good. I spent some money, but I did it right. But anyways, what about you, Liz? What do you remember from that conversation? Just, uh, it was just fun hanging out with my friend Jen. (laughs) I met her because I was looking for producers my first feature back in like 2012, 2013. And at the meeting, we were just meeting each other. I wasn't offering her a role. She came with the script fully broken down. And I think maybe even a basic budget for the film. Wow. And it was nuts. And she was supportive of the film. She was not an on-the-ground producer, but she was an AP. And then from that, I learned about what she does, and she became my accountant and a friend and a colleague. And I just remember being so impressed by that first meeting and how, I mean, who does that, right? She shouldn't have done that. Don't do that. That's too much work for free. But yeah. I was very grateful to her, and everyone could see how smart and, and wonderful and how she's a resource for indie film. So thank you, Jen, for being on the show, if you're listening. You're awesome, Jen. I want I want to do my own company in that same way, and but I'd have to become an accountant, so I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> you know, could probably do a version with editing and assistant editing. Though that could that could be that could be yeah. a future. Yeah. But what is now in the present is the round of the game. So for those who don't know, if this is your first time listening to the show, we play this game that uh, our producer Eric Toms has invented. And what it is, is a filmmaking quandary, a question, a challenge, an indie filmmaker conundrum that he has invented for us and that we answer blind on the show. So we take turns, you know, I'll answer, you know, one week, Liz will answer the other week. We did a couple episodes with Eric filling in for Liz. You do some childcare stuff and everything. So I actually haven't asked Liz a question in a long time. So I'm very, very excited to ask Liz a question. And uh, I don't know, I think I did a pretty good job of breaking this down. So here's a question that Liz has not heard. This is brand new, fresh for her ears. And I think this one comes from Eric Toms, although I know that we also have one from uh, Colin Stryker. But I think this is Eric Toms' one, I'm pretty sure. But anyways, here we go. Here is the question. It has been years since you directed your first feature film, 
It found moderate success, but no one is knocking down to your door your door to fund your next feature. Sounds like my life. You're champing <laughs> a year, Auric. A year I know. for you. Well, I feel like reaching like in the future, like I think it'll be multiple years. But we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe I'm being pessimistic. You're champing or chomping at the bit to direct another film when a friend approaches you with a road trip movie script that follows two main characters and has multiple locations, but everything is very accessible. Example, rest stops, parking lots, motel rooms, etc. They are convinced that with a budget of $10,000, you can shoot the movie which would employ a DP, sound tech, a driver, and two actors. The writer has $5,000 and wants you to chip in or find the other $5,000. Wow. Naturally, this would mean that everyone will eat crap food, crap food, and share one bedroom or sleep in the production car, but you really do like the script. Note, all of this is taking place before you have had children. Good to know. <laughs> do you? A. Pass. Although it had been fun to hit the road with your friends, the chances of selling such a low-budget film with no-name actors is nearly zero. B. Go for it. This is a low-stakes chance to direct a film, and who knows, may, you may catch lightning in a bottle. C. Shelf the idea until you can take the film out and get proper financing, which may take years. D. Other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Wait, so... Do we have the crew lined up or they're just saying that 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 10K is supposed to cover those individuals that you listed? But I don't know for sure whether I could find good people. I'm assuming that these are friends of yours or friends of the writer and that like everyone is like, I am in. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Do I get to cast it? (laughs) I think you can cast it. Yeah. This is okay. So, as you were saying the question, I was thinking of three case studies. Farrah oh, Goes wow. Bang by Mira Minan is a road trip, was her first feature. She's a former guest of the show. She's directed for Ms. Marvel. And just as a reminder, she did something in film called Equity. But her first feature was a micro budget road trip movie called Farrah Goes Bang. And Mally Elfman, who I interviewed a few months ago, did a road trip movie and talked about, I think her first feature was on the road with some amazing cast. And then someone that I know named Laramie adjusted a road trip movie. And they, I think there is a world where road trip movies can work on a low budget and there's a certain latitude for it. I'm consulting on one. So it's not the genre that worries me. It's having to put up $5,000 that bothers me. Like, I think Mm. it's more like if the writer came to me and was like, and here's the business agreement and here's your 50% stake in the film and here's how distribution would flow and here's all the creative control you would have for all of this. Would you be willing to contribute some money and we'll go in 50-50? But the way that the question was framed was like really presumptuous about the directors putting money in. <laughs> like like right. you, you pay to play, to, so to speak. And that freaked me out a little bit. And I don't know. Like, I would be wary of this based off of the nature of the wording because it feels like, how long have I known this writer? I'm mainly worried about the relationship with the writer more than anything else, (laughs) more than logistics, more than distribution. Because if you don't have kids and you could take off work and you have the freedom and you want to make the movie, like, that sounds so fun. But it's like all of the repercussions of someone who may be potentially shortchanging you that I worry about. And so I'd be I'm leaning towards no, unless this is someone I've worked with before 
and that I can contractually set aside a, a certain level of expectation with creative control and expectations for distribution. What about you? Well, I feel like me now, I guess this is important because it, it, it says you did direct your first feature. Yeah. So you've already made a movie. It's not like this is the first movie you've ever made. It's also saying that you don't have kids. So like, I'm trying to put myself in my mindset of like, I've already made a movie and I don't have kids. Would I do this? And I kind of feel like if someone was offering up money and I was younger, I, I may not have the money, but I would be very excited that someone would want to split the cost with me because like I, I paid for like my first short films, you know? So it's like, oh, well, you know, and I paid for them all myself. I never had anyone except one time that they, it was a really cheap short film that we split the cost together. But like every other time I've like, you know, just paid for it or fundraised or Kickstarter or whatever. So I think the idea that someone's like, oh, here's some money, you know, let's find some more money and let's do this. Like, that's kind of cool. But I do but agree not that- it's find more money. It's you have to give the rest of the money. It, well, it says you chip in or find the other 5,000. So I feel like- I could probably now five find five thousand dollars, but I think before I had kids and like when I was yeah. young enough that like I would be interested in this, I probably wouldn't be able to find five thousand dollars. But then I was thinking about like you know my short films. It's like well, I just I did find the money. I just found it in my own pocket, you know. Yeah. So like yeah, but I wonder. But that was all before I made a feature. So like now that I've made a feature, it's like I have different goals and different you know interests in making a movie. And it's not just like, oh, let's just go run out and make any movie. Let's go make a road trip movie for $10,000. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do that, like I want it to be very actionable and like, you know, aligned with my career as a, as a filmmaker. Like I don't just mm -hmm. want to direct anything, you know, but I'm like, why? but it's like hard to put myself in the mindset of somebody who doesn't have children and who someone, someone who's had a movie because I've had, I've not had children. I, I've not made a movie and I've made a movie and I have a child so it's like there hasn't been one without the other yeah i haven't like yeah i don't have that experience so yeah i feel like i think i also have to say like i guess if, if this was my if i hadn't made a feature i think i would be yes but it, since i because the more that you don't know the easier it is to convince yourself <laughs> that this is going to be a great idea right. but like when you've already gone through it and like you know what it takes to make a feature film and like you've been there before like, you know the amount of work it's going to be. It you seems know dangerous. how hard it's going to be. And and then if if a road trip, if, if it's like, if you're not like a road trip movie guy, which maybe, or or, or, or gal, but maybe if you are, like if, if your first movie was a road trip movie and you have a chance to make another road trip movie and it's in line with your brand as like this filmmaker who makes road trip movies, then like that's probably more <laughs> of a yes. But like if, if you made like any other kind of movie like a comedy or a horror movie or sci-fi movie and this road trip movie isn't those things then it's gonna be hard especially if it's sci-fi because there's no like ten thousand dollars for a sci-fi or a genre movie is like almost impossible you know to think of how you could do that in a feature form you know although people i'm sure have done it you know so i just think like yeah there's just too many variables i mean i'm gonna give two answers i'll say if I hadn't made it, well, that's that's not the question. Not so the question. I had made it. I, so yeah, I have to say no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I would probably do go for like you know if I really love the idea, shelf it until and and you know until you can take the film out and get proper money to do it. You know, or you actually get paid for your time and you know you're, it's not just like this you know like long shot like crazy thing that you do when you're young. You know, yeah. or, or when you haven't made a movie, I guess into some to some extent so like i am more optimistic about this than you <laughs> but i'm but it's more about 
I'm more optimistic about this production than I am about the people. Like, I'm more (laughs) paranoid about the team, I would say, right? Because I would be a yes if the writer were someone that inspired me and excited me that I could trust, right? Mm. I think it's that. It's that is the that's the issue for me is the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's a that's a good concern to have. Like the partnerships are like the most important things. Like you can't run off and make a movie with somebody who you don't know or yeah. you don't trust or like. You know, like you have to trust, know, and like them. <laughs> like yeah. it's like three things. You know, and I've been burned, and I've burned others. Like the burning has yeah. occurred uh, since my first feature. And it, exactly. Yeah, and it probably will keep on happening, but. You don't want to get yourself in those kinds of situations if you can avoid it, you know, yeah. which is hard to know what they're going to be like when you start, basically. Yeah. But yeah, what do you guys think? Like, is this what you would do? Would you do this differently? Are Liz and I completely wrong? Should we just go make this movie no matter what? Let us know. You can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be amazing. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. You can check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org today to sign up for free. Thanks to Jen for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Ryanmoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for doing our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for simply being awesome. Awesome. Thanks to you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror film horror... <laughs>